Renovate and radiate, amen? I love that line in there that he built us to shine. And church, our God is moving in our midst and he's beginning to shine through us in in just such amazing ways. I mean, the light is on over here, this lamp, because at least one received Christ this week. We celebrate that. In addition to that, in our body in this last week, we've had hundreds of you involved in kids ministry, youth ministry, life groups, men's ministry, women's ministry. It has been an amazing week with the body coming alive. Amen? We are built to shine, and God is shining in and through this church. One of my favorite two stories uh, in this last week, one uh, was our faith riders. We have a, if you didn't know, we have a motorcycle riding club and uh, they go out once a month and they went out yesterday. They took the exercise from our booklet and they drove the prayer route and prayed on their Harleys and other bikes. And I thought that was so cool. They sent a picture. They broke bread together. Some of you are like, see, honey, I knew I needed to get a bike, right? There it is, there it is. Uh, and then in the younger generation, one of our children uh, in P-Kids about two weeks ago, the mother came to us, I'll, I'll keep their names out of it, but uh, she's calling it her love project. And she, uh, at her young age, wanted to put together cards uh, for Valentine's Day for those that are shut in and may not have anybody to love on them. And I got a picture this week from that mother with this uh, little girl smiling, surrounded by all of these cards. Uh, how cool is that, right? God has built us to shine, and it is happening. Now, it is Big Game Sunday, and some of you are really excited. Some of you don't care, Uh, but you know what? Don't act like that. You're going to watch it, whether it's for the commercials, right, or whether it's for the food, whether you're a Chiefs fan or a Niners fan, whether you're an Usher fan at the halftime show, or you don't want to tell anybody, but you're a Swifty. Right? The chances are you will tune in tonight for this big game. And it's a big deal. They're expecting record ratings tonight. All of us, many of us will be watching it. Uh, We've got a a big game party here at the church. The youth have one as well. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, each of those performers, whether it's 
The football player, whether it's somebody like Usher or even Taylor Swift, at some point in their journey, they had something that brought them alive that gave them a picture of a bigger dream for their life, something that they began to go after, something that they began to believe could happen. And in this series, we're looking at a man, a leader named Nehemiah, who was in the third wave of people moving back into Jerusalem And God put within him a dream for something that was so much bigger than himself. And we're reminded in Nehemiah 1 that burdens bathed in prayer birth vision and dreams that are more aligned to God. Let me say that again because we need to hear this, right? It's burdens bathed in prayer birth vision and dreams that are from God. And I believe God has given us a dream as a church. And I want to put this in front of you again. This is something in the last couple of years we've shared. That we have prayed over, that we have fasted, and we believe that this is a part of God's 10-year dream for our church. And we're about two years into that right now. Let me read it to you uh, as we think about what it might mean that God is calling our church to. We would call this our multiplying phase 10 years out. Pathway has grown to a church-wide reach of 2,000 plus people that has developed an influence in Vero that is not limited by our physical footprint at 58th and 12th. Pathway is known as a hospital, a home, and an aircraft carrier, sending people and leaders to serve with God's love in Vero and beyond. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-economic class church that represents the community we reside in. Isn't that good? We are a church for all people with all the gifts active in all of life. And we are known by our love for Jesus and one another. We have celebrated the completion of phase two of our master site plan, the sending of 30 ministry leaders into vocational ministry and expanded into three locations moving north along the space coast. Can you see it? We are known for vibrant next generation ministries that are reaching out and raising up a generation of kingdom-minded Christ followers. We have helped champion Master's Academy into a new season of growth that now serves 500 plus students annually. We have created Be The Church as an entity that serves to plant, adopt, and support churches in answering God's unique calling for them. Church, that's a big dream. That is an incredibly big dream that's been birthed over the last couple years out of a burden that God has given us, a belief that he wants to do something in and through our church to renovate and radiate, to bless many. How many of you know life gets better when it's bigger than just us? I mean, when we begin to see beyond ourselves and begin to see what God is inviting us into, And as we talked about last week, there's moments where we have to face reality. We have to ask the loving question. And I I gotta remind you, that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah 1, verse three and four, if you wanna turn in your Bibles, these are, are the first two verses that set up where we're going today. In verse three, he's asking the question. He said, he had asked the question and they said to him, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days 
and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His first step, his first move was toward God. And, you know, when we're walking into a dream, there will be challenges. There will be issues. There will be things that come our way and happen. And as we face those, Nehemiah reminds us that that we have one of two choices. One is, I can fix this. Or the other is, God can fix this. Now, sit in that for a minute. Because if you're on the I can fix this side right now, I believe God's inviting you over to the, his team, right? To this side that says, listen, these dreams that God has for your life and for the life of our church are bigger than any of us can handle. And they're things that if we try to fix them, we're probably gonna make a mess of it. But if we say, God, you can fix this, you can do something about this, and, and that's for our church, but what about your own life? What about those areas of your life right now that you know need a little bit of renovation, a little bit of fixing? Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's a relationship. As we begin to see who God is and realize that he can fix it and invites us deeper into our journey and walk with God. Not just to believe about God, but to believe what he wants to do in and through our lives. In this series, there's three things we're inviting you to. If you have a phone, pull it out. Another Sunday, humor me, okay? It's between you and the Lord what you do with that phone, but at least make me think you're doing this. About about eight of you are doing it, which means the rest of you already did it, so praise God for that. You guys are so rebellious. Unbelievable. We'll get to that later in the message, quite honestly. But if you'll put up that slide, these are the three things that we have available during this series. Uh, if you scan the QR code, just put your camera up. It'll pop up either yellow or blue, depending on iPhone or Android. You click on it. It takes you to a place that has all three of these uh, resources for you. The first is Ramsey Plus. I want to remind you, we have purchased a site license. We have given you Ramsey Plus. It's $160 a year for you individually. It's free. Don't waste the church's money. Sign up for an account. In there, you have the Every Dollar budgeting app. You have tax software. You have Financial Peace University. We have a class starting in March. All of these things are free and available. And here's what we're asking you to do. One, don't waste the church money. Sign up for yours. And then get a, we have cards. Take these cards out and invite the Treasure Coast to Ramsey Plus. They do not have to attend church here. We're just giving this away because we believe that if we on the Treasure Coast and beyond are healthy financially, God's gonna allow us to live with new freedom and to live on mission for him, amen? Second thing is read our facility life cycle plan. Uh, 22-year-old property, lots of things that need prayer and need the hand of God. We can't fix it, but God can. God will call us in different ways to be a part of it. So check that out. Uh, makes great bathroom reading. I mentioned that last week. Um, man, y'all are too serious today. Third is the Renovate and Radiate booklet. And that has an exercise every week. Last week was our drive-by prayer. Uh, it was a prayer route around. If you missed it, you can pick it up today. Uh, get it online and you can do that this coming week. This week's is uh, preparing the pitch and what it means to be ready when God says it's time to present the plan. And uh, so these resources are there. Now, as we enter into Nehemiah's story today in chapter two, I wanna read to you verse one. 
It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. If you're taking notes here, God never changes and is worthy of our trust as everything else changes. What we see here is this is about four months later. It mentions the month of Nisan, it's about four months later. What we need to understand in Nehemiah's journey is there was a waiting period. There was this space between the moment when God began to birth something in his heart and when it actually presented the opportunity to do something about it. And God does something in that space between. We're gonna look at that in a minute. And, and so it's in that space that whether it was the four months or the 70 years they waited based on Jeremiah 29 and the promise of God, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is really good news in a world that is constantly changing. Some of you have heard that phrase that the only constant is change. Well, it's partially true. The only constant is change, but the real only constant is a God who never changes. And that's important for us to rest in and to trust who he is and what he has for us in every season. Job 23, verse 13 and 14 say this, but he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires that he does for he will complete what he appoints for me and many such things are in his mind. And so when we are in this space in between, some of us can get frustrated. Some of us in the waiting can give up hope. Let me remind you of this if you're taking notes. Delay is not denial. It is the space between that God uses for preparation. Nehemiah had to wait. Nehemiah had to wait months. And in that space between, God was preparing him and getting him ready. Some of you are as impatient as I am. Y'all, I talked last week about not even waiting for the microwave to finish. And I did it the same day. I got home and I did it again and I laughed. I'm like, wow, this is really a problem. Like I don't do well with delays. But you need to know delay in Nehemiah's life was not denial. It's just God preparing and getting us ready. And sometimes we need to, in that space, be able to sit and to soak in God's presence to continue to serve faithfully. Nehemiah just didn't sit at home he kept showing up for his job. He kept serving. He kept waiting for the opportunity when God said, okay, shoulder tap, it's time. Now it's time. So what does he do in this preparation? Let me give you a few things that we can see in Nehemiah's story. One is Nehemiah deepened his relationship with God. If you want this space between to be productive while you wait, deepen your relationship with God. If he's not moving in the ways you're, waiting on, it's because he's waiting on you to get deeper with him and to get ready for what he wants to do next. That is the best work we can do is deepen our relationship with God. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, you're alive, you're here. That's great news. Get this big game off your minds, man. Get in this, this game, right? Get in this game. Secondly, uh, we see that Nehemiah developed emotional maturity. Ooh, it's going to get quiet in here. Y'all, gray hair. 
or the lack of gray hair doesn't indicate anything about your emotional maturity or health. (laughs) Nehemiah had a job to do that required him to show up for four months up until that moment where he had to bring joy to the king. He's the king's cupbearer. He had never showed up sad before. Another verse or two, we're gonna see that he says, I was very afraid. The emotion of fear didn't hold him back. The emotion of sadness didn't hold him back. All of the emotion, all of the feels, this is the good news, are God-given. But our maturity has often to do with what we do in those emotions. Our emotions are not an excuse for immature behavior. In fact, Nehemiah demonstrates that he was so emotionally mature that he was able to do what God had called him to do. And even when that door opened, to be ready to really walk into it. He didn't hide the sadness. He didn't hide the fear. He acknowledges it. He obviously had been showing up and doing things with joy because the king says, you've never been sad before in my presence. I mean, how emotionally mature are you right now? Like look back over the last 24 hours. Have you had any of those freak out moments? Those moments where you're like, and and here's what I'm doing. I just wanna bring awareness to it because I'll be the first to tell you, like God has been working on deepening my relationship with him and my emotional maturity too. And sometimes that's the best work we can do in the space between. So we're on the journey together, right? And Nehemiah lives this. The third thing uh, that makes this space productive, he clarified his priorities. And it's so important that we really understand our priorities. Dan Allender, an author and counselor, says this, when contempt and applause no longer move your heart to hide or strive, then you are ready to ask the question, what will please you, God? You see, Nehemiah, in verse 6 and 11 of chapter 1, showed what his real priority was. Let me read it to you. Verse six, chapter one. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. He's talking to God. Verse 11, he says again, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants. And he closes the verse by saying, now I was the cupbearer to the king. He was in an important position of privilege and power. He was the cupbearer to the king, but he knew his priorities because he says, I'm first and foremost a servant of God most high. Do you see it? Sometimes God's waiting for us in the space between to not just deepen our relationship with him, to not just grow in our emotional maturity, but to realize that no matter our role in life, we are first and foremost his servants. And Nehemiah got it. He had clarified his priorities. How does God need to switch your priorities in this season and maybe realign things to who he is? We need to serve God first and our roles in life second and let things flow from there just like Nehemiah did. Lastly, in the space between, Nehemiah prepared the plan and the pitch. Not, not a baseball pitch, not a, a, a softball pitch, but literally the pitch that he was gonna share when the king asked the question. And for some of us, we need to recognize that prayer and preparation kind of go together. That he was praying 
and preparing for his moment of opportunity and preparing the pitch. That's the exercise in this week's Renovate uh, exercise. Because if you outline it, I don't have time to do it in this message today, but there's seven things that very clearly Nehemiah prepares his pitch. Some of you, you're just like, God will do it all. And you're right, but he also wants to use you and I. So we can't say, yes, God, you're, you're gonna do it all and then be lazy. See, Nehemiah prepared and was ready when the moment came. And so what does God wanna do in your life right now to prepare you for that moment where you share and invite others into what he's doing? Pastor and author Andy Stanley says this about this verse. He says, focus your prayers on what you know needs to happen in order to get your vision off the launching pad. Pray for these people who have the power, resources, or influence to make your vision possible. Pray that God would give you favor in their presence, then start preparing your speech. Nehemiah did it, and when the moment came, he was ready. Ready for verse two? Here we go, verse two through eight. It says this, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, which was 900 miles away, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This is the renovation project. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? Now, do you see why he needed a plan? Okay, he needed to be ready. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me. So he doesn't just accept the king's approval. He asks for the king's favor and relationships out in the community and in the region. Some of us have thought, like, we've missed this. What happens next is absolutely miraculous. A king who had shut down the walls, a king who was not a part of God's people, is going to write the check. Y'all ready for it? I love the Bible. I I do. It's amazing what it teaches us. So as I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah in a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. God gives him favor. And if we're taking notes here, God invites us in the same way to walk into the new day. Same God, new day. Nehemiah walks into the new day trusting him through the process. He begins to ask bold questions and those questions lead him to to realize that God was working in the unseen realm before unleashing his will in the scene. 
Isn't that good news? That, that here's Nehemiah who's waited, who's prayed and prepared, and he doesn't know. He can't see it yet. And some of you just need to be encouraged today that God is working in the unseen realm. He's preparing what he has and what he desires. And as he's preparing that, he's getting ready to unleash what his plans are. And in Nehemiah's case, it included all of the funding, all of the resources needed to do the renovation project would ultimately would lead to the revival of the people. What might God do if we trust him and to believe that he's working in the unseen realm? That's, you know what that's called? Hebrews 11 defines it. That's called faith. That, that actually it's faith in the unseen that God calls us to believe even when sometimes we can't see it yet. Nehemiah lived it. God used him and would use others in a moment. You'll see it in an amazing way. What can we learn from this? Praying through it is a habit of the humble that positions God's favor in it. You see, Nehemiah even prayed as he was in that moment. Like the kings before him saying, you're sad. Here's a risky moment. He's supposed to make the king happy. His life is on the line in that moment, literally. The king could not just fire him, but have him put to death if he's not pleased with him. In that moment, he does it very afraid. Some of you just need to do what God has shown you, even through fear, that's where faith wins. Nehemiah in that moment is sitting there praying through it because he says, God help me. That's my translation, God help me right now. You ever prayed before a big meeting? You ever prayed during a big meeting? Like, y'all, we've got to realize, like, this matters, but we get to live this beyond Sunday service. And in it, whatever it is for you, God wants you to be able to realize you can pray through it. Like, one of my habits that I have, I actually take my calendar the night before and the morning of, and I pray through my calendar. So, Typically, if I have a meeting with one of you, you need to know I've already like prayed over that meeting and, and oftentimes like I'm trying to pray and listen to God in the meeting because I need him to show up in it. I want him to show up in it. What does that look like for us? Can I get an amen? So he asks boldly and God uses him in an incredible way. He, he takes the risk and doesn't worry about his life. Listen to what Mark 8, 34 through 36 says. It says, in calling the crowd, this is Jesus to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. See, Nehemiah had to realize that the highest priority was serving God and doing God's will, even at the risk of his reputation, even at the risk of his very life in that moment. I believe God has incredible plans, as we heard about earlier for our church. I believe he has incredible plans for your life. 
He wants to do something bigger and greater in every generation. And, and don't think numbers because it's about lives and the deepening of our faith walk with him and who he wants. And, and how many of you know, like it's a pretty dark world out there right now. Like there's a lot of darkness. And, and I just need us to understand like there's going to be a level of sacrifice required to follow Jesus into whatever those plans are. We really want him to show up in our lives, be ready to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. Jesus did it and then said, we're gonna do it too. Nehemiah did it and you know, some of you are like, man, what would that been like? Like the king gave him everything he asked for. But do you realize the risk he had to take to make the ask? Some of us need to allow God to deepen our faith that he's the same God. And as the new day unfolds, he's gonna have a moment where he says, do you love me enough? Will you follow me even if? Will you trust me even if? Will you believe that I can and will and want to? God wants to show up in our lives and I believe he's calling us to a greater faith to walk into that. Now, what happens next in verses nine through 20 is where we'll kind of finish and land the plane today. It says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. How many of you know that there's always those people? Anybody? Right? Like there's always a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of opposition. I mean, some of you like, I didn't pay attention real well in physics class, but I remember that in physics to have movement, there has to be friction. And I remember like as a 17, 18 year old that stuck in my head. And then later I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, oh, God moves and there's friction. Well, it starts here as there's some resistance, some friction. So I went to Jerusalem, it says verse 11, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Yes, it said dung. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. He's doing a reconnaissance mission. He's praying and researching in private before he shares in public. He's inspecting before he gets out and, and invites others to it. It's as bad as he thought it was as he looks at it. It says, then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not, not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Some of us shared too soon. And it's not that God can't, help with that, but there's a time 
where God says it's now the moment. And notice that he's moving prayerfully. He's moving patiently. He's got people he can trust around him. Verse uh, 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. So now he's going public. Now he's beginning to share. He says, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of these words that the king had spoken to me. And they said to me, nope, we're good. We're comfortable. We don't want to do anything. No, what did they say? Come on, y'all, correct me. It's on the screen. They said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Which is actually not what they were doing. You ever notice some people will twist and manipulate and lie? They actually had the king's blessing. The king was involved in the project. He financed it. Then I replied to them, and I love his reply. The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Sometimes it's good to tell the truth and have boundaries. That's a whole different message. If you're taking notes, God invites us to walk into the new day, trusting him through the process. And as you think about trusting him through the process, we see Nehemiah preparing ahead of time. Back in 2007, uh, my wife Cindy and I were called to plant a church uh, in Michigan. We knew that that church was gonna make a difference in the community. Uh, we didn't know all the details, but there was about a four-month period, ironically, between February when we were called and June when we actually began to arrive in the community. During that four-month period, we did many prayer drives. We would drive an hour to that community. We would drive around the entire community and pray over it. We didn't talk to people in the community during that period. We prayed, we inspected, we talked to leaders and people that believed in us and the vision and what God was doing. And we just listened to God, trusting him in the process. And, and I can tell you that today, that church and nonprofit that we started in 07, people literally looked at me in that first year, no joke, and they said, what you're, what you're intending to do, others have tried. It's impossible, you're gonna fail. In fact, one person who called me 30 days ago, he's, he's in his uh, late 70s in the community there, became a good friend. My first meeting with him, he looked at me and said, this place is gonna chew you up and spit you out in two years. Well, nice to meet you, right? <laughs> 14 years later, God called us here. During that 14 years, God laid an incredible foundation that I can tell you today, both that church and nonprofit are soaring into dreams. We were the planters. Others are watering and getting the harvest right now because it's always bigger than us. And it was so amazing, so amazing to see what God can do when we begin to really do things his way and trust him through the process. I've seen what he can do. If you're taking notes, this trust God right 
It right-sizes our difficulties and difficult people. Trusting God right-sizes our difficulties and difficult people. And if you're like, I don't have any difficult people in my life, two things to think about. One might be, you might not be doing anything that God wants you to do, because typically when we do, difficulties begin to happen, or you're somebody else's difficult person. (laughs) Somebody had to tell you, right? So we trust God and we see how he right-sizes difficulties and difficult people. And Nehemiah doesn't get swept up in it. He's able to really trust God and believe that he's the same God and he's going to walk him through it. What we see there with the people, some were resisting and rebelling. Others were receiving and rising to build. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those people that are like, God, when you say it's time, when you show us, like I'm moving with him, I want to say, let us rise up and build. That's what they said, right? And I'm not telling you what the plan is yet. I'm not telling you what it, I'm asking us as a church to say, God, you want to do some renovation. You want to do some work in our lives. So we're going to position ourselves to grow and prepare, be prepared for it. And when he says, this is it, and there'll be a lot of those, this is it moments. You may have one in your home. You may have one in your neighborhood. You may have one in our church. We may have one as an entire church. And my hope is that we have not resisted and rebelled, but we're the people that say, yes, let us rise up and build. Let us follow God and what he has for us. So not only does God is trusting him right-size difficulties and difficult people, it also right-sizes our stewardship. And this is really important. I wanna sit in this for a minute because Nehemiah had a stewardship. He had, what, is, what am I gonna do with my life? What am I gonna do with my leadership? What am I gonna do with the resources that God has given me? What am I gonna do with the resources God's entrusted to me from another? And part of what God needs to do in all of our lives is to help us see what it means to be his steward and to trust him with the things and the people that he's placed in our lives. I wanna show you something uh, that I came across recently on the uh, blackboard here. Uh, Three approaches to our stuff. We can put that up because you can't see this if you're sitting here. There it is. Uh, pastor and author Joby Martin is where I uh, am borrowing this from. The first is the phrase with stewardship, what is mine is mine. You know what that's called? Let me, let me fill in the blank here. That's called selfishness. Right? That's, I earned it, it's mine. And I'm going to maintain it as mine. And I'm going to keep it as mine. And it's almost like if you know the Lord of the Rings where that weird little creature Gollum has the ring and he's like, my precious, my precious, right? I'm sorry if I just creeped you out. I promise you, I, I don't rehearse these and that wasn't in my notes. So if it creeped you out, maybe I won't do it second service. But that's selfishness, right? Second is what yours what you, what you have is mine. You know what that's called? That is called stealing. Right? 
This is where we think that what other people have we're entitled to, and we begin to want what others have, that even deeper underneath that with selfishness and stealing can create like jealousy and envy and all of these things that social media is really good at feeding. Be careful, right? We can begin to want things that God hasn't given us, and we become discontent, and we miss out on what he actually has given us. And then what is mine is God's, This is actually stewardship. This is actually where we realize at the end of the day, God is sovereign. God is in control. God owns everything. And just sit in that for a minute because it's in that place that we find freedom actually. That that the grip on our hands The prison sometimes created by our head and our heart is freed to say this stuff, this relationship in Nehemiah's case, this job he had, like he was uniquely positioned as the king's cupbearer. Nobody else could make the ask that Nehemiah was gonna make. But if Nehemiah looked at it selfishly, or if he looked at it with the idea that that's mine and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just grab it and get it. Do you think the king would have humbly, with the favor he gave him, allowed him to do what he did? I highly doubt it. See, Nehemiah understood, God put me here in this position for a reason. God has placed you at the position you're at in your life for a reason. You may have got there without God, but God still orders our steps. Let me give you two verses not in the notes. Proverbs 16, nine, Proverbs 19, 21. Both talk about the fact that our God is a God who we can plan, but he orders our steps. There's no mistake that whether you're online or you're in person today, God has you here for a reason. And when we begin to say, okay, what, what is mine is God's. And when we begin it collectively as a church to say, you know what? These chairs we're sitting on, this building we're in, ultimately, we steward it. It's his. Nehemiah then is positioned as a steward to be used by God in a significant way. I just believe that God is wanting to free our hands and our hearts to be stewards, freeing us from the grip of money and resources to just be free to follow him. I wanna close with these verses from Mark 14. And as we look at these, it's, it's kind of an unusual passage, so much so that the passage itself says that this story that you're about to hear will be told everywhere the gospel is told. And here we are a couple thousand years later looking at it. Let me read it to you because I think it speaks to this idea that we are just stewards and that the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his sacrifice, his abundant love and unconditional love is something he puts into our lives that we then get to steward and no matter the resources he's given us, it ultimately is all supposed to be pointing towards that. Let me read it to you. Verse three of Mark 14. It says, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, so he was reclining at a table, a woman came. We learn in John 12 that that was Mary. 
with an alabaster flask of anoint, ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, I'm gonna just pause there. We know based on the story in other gospels that this is about 300 days worth of wages. It's about a year's worth of wages that she's pouring out over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you. And I wanna pause right there. Some have used that verse to say, we don't need to help the poor. Matthew 25, that was read during our tithe and offering moment, actually would say the opposite. What Jesus is saying is not that we aren't going to help the poor. He's saying you're always going to have opportunity to help the poor. But I, Jesus is saying, am here in this moment and what she's doing is a blessing in this moment. You gotta have good theology too if we're gonna follow Jesus, right? Says for you will always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I truly say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are doing it today. Now, as you think about that, she had a flask and she was not just pouring that, but she broke it. I think there's some level of, she was willing to sacrifice the one thing she had that she could bless Jesus with and anoint him with in that moment. There are things that you and I have been given by God that there may be a moment where God says, this is the moment. This is how I want you to serve and to sacrifice and to bless. And you may have others around you that go, well, why are they doing that? That's crazy. And there's Jesus saying, no, they're, they're just loving and following me. And wherever the stories are told of the gospel in the future and how God renovated and radiated, people will hear about the sacrifice and the stewardship and the love and the way I worked through their life. So I don't know what your alabaster jar is. But I'm guessing you already know. And so let me just ask a few questions to bring us to a close here as we think about applying this. One, will you turn to the same God today and turn over your life for a new day? What is the situation? What is the thing you're holding on to that you just need to say, okay, God, I'm done. I'm yours. You are the same. And I'm gonna trust you with this. Secondly, will you trust God today with the renovation work? that he wants to do in your life, in the life of our church family. That leads to the third one. Will you jump into the journey? Get the Renovate booklet. Sign up for Ramsey Plus. Go to the cafe if you need help. They'll help you. Sign up for Financial Peace University. Come out of hiding in areas that need renovation and allow God to begin to move. So as our worship team joins us right now, I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer 
that's gonna be a little bit different. It's gonna be interactive because I wanna pray over our heads, our hearts, and our hands. You see, what we see in Nehemiah's life is his mind, his heart, and the work of his hands began to line up with the Lord. And when we line up to the Lord and his will, and we begin to do things in his way, according to what he's authoring, amazing things happen. Can I give you a little spoiler? Those people that said, rise up and build, they actually rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Something that I'm convinced today could not happen in a year with our modern construction machines and the things and the ways we do things. Do you know that they did it in 52 days? You'll hear that over and over again, probably in the messages ahead. You see, same God, but a new day. And when it's his day and his timing, he can move a whole lot quicker sometimes when he finds the people that are just saying, God, I'm yours, I'm yours. So I'm gonna ask if you're able, if you'll just stand right where you're at. And I'm gonna pray over our head, our hearts and our hands this morning. Same God, new day. And as I pray, I'm gonna ask that you kind of participate along with me and then we'll go into a song. The altar will be open, the prairie kneeling benches, all of this is available for you to come forward and to pray. But right now, I'm gonna just ask as I pray over your mind that you'll just touch your mind and then we'll touch our heart. Let me see you do it. Okay. All right, and then your hands. We're just gonna go like this. Got it? Head, it's like children's church. Heart and hands. I'm gonna just pray over us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for all that we're learning in the series and in this book of Nehemiah that is so rich. Thank you, Jesus, for the calling to follow you. Father, right now, as we touch our minds, I just wanna pray that our minds would be renewed by you, that the word of God, your spirit, your power would renew our minds, remove patterns of lies, false thinking, increase our faith, transform, as Romans 12 says, our minds to be renewed by you. Father, as we touch our hearts, we ask that our hearts would be made fresh and new, hungry and thirsty for you. I pray for each heart that is hurting to be healed, each heart that feels bound or wounded to find freedom and deliverance in you. Return us, Lord, where needed to you, our first love. May our hearts be filled with a love for you and a love for our neighbor. And Father, as we bring out our hands, palms up in front, we just ask that just as Nehemiah was a good steward, free us from the love of money, free us from the love of even our own life and stuff, that you could use the work of our hands for your glory. Father, bring our heads, our hearts, and our hands into alignment with you and your will. And as we look to you now, we just praise you and celebrate that you are the same God and you are inviting us into a new day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.